Gabby and Andrea. Hello, everybody. This is Gabby and... Hi, it's Andrea. And we are here from the How Is Anyone Still Alive podcast. And we are recording to you from our respective homes. Yeah, you're in your bathroom right now. I'm in my bathroom in Indianapolis. I'm in Detroit, the epicenter of coronavirus not the epicenter but it's it's bad it's a hot spot yeah it's a hot spot New York is the epicenter right now thanks for correcting me because I actually don't read the news on this for my mental health yeah it's good I I try not to for the most part um well this is like a follow-up episode to what was a really um emotional raw yeah experience that we had on the phone that we've got a lot of feedback on yeah What did people say to you when they reached out? Um, A lot of people said thank you, and they really appreciated the rawness because I think it was what a lot of people were thinking and feeling, um, but not hearing recorded necessarily. Um, So I think people really related to it. What about you? Yeah, I I want to thank you for your vulnerability um, for our viewers because I think it, yeah, it made a lot of people feel seen. And I was happy that we made the decision to, to post it. Yeah, me too. Feeling, feeling good about that. So we're Zooming right now, which um, I'll start by saying I'm into Zoom now these last couple of weeks. Like we use it for meetings and stuff. This is not a sponsored thing, but like, I, do you like Zoom? I prefer it over Skype. I like Zoom a lot. Yeah, I live on Zoom. I'm just a Zoom person. Get into Zoom. Did you ever watch that when you were younger on PBS? No. Zoom, Zoom, Zoom with yes. the sloth. Wait, what? Was it, no, it was like a, what was that animal? Oh, you're thinking of Zaboomafu. <laughs> <laughs> That's the show about the lemur with uh, the Krat brothers, and they actually have an animated show now for kids called Wild Kratts, and it's actually really good. Didn't that animal just recently kind of die? Zabumafu died? I could be making that up When again. my eyes opened, they looked like Zabumafu's eyes. That <laughs> looked like a ring-tailed lemur's eyes. <laughs> oh, man. Okay, let's do a check-in right now. How are you feeling right now? Um, so I'm actually, I've had a pretty good day today. Um, I woke up, had a meeting for work, um, did some other stuff for work, did a little animal crossing in between. Um, then was, you know, I got a puppy recently. Um, so have been taking the puppy inside and outside and training and all that stuff. Um, just like there's been normalcy. I baked some banana bread. Um, yeah, so it was like a good day that I think was really balanced. Um, and it like, I think it helps me feel better when I'm able to like consistently do some work and then like go do something else and then do more work. Um, it's just, yeah, I, I like that, that balance that I've kind of found yesterday. I was having one of those days where I did have like a mild freak out where I realized like it had been, I don't know. I think, I think yesterday was day 14, um, inside. And I did have like this moment where I did realize like it had only been two weeks and we don't really know how much time is left. So I try not to think forward too much about like how much time is left or like what the future is going to look like. That's when I have to like really get back to being mindful and being in the now. 
and being present. Um, so I had a little bit of that and I like let myself freak out when I have a moment. Like I think it's important to let yourself have those emotions and let yourself feel them and, and ride the wave. And then you come out on the other end and you're able to, you know, feel like you've processed and move forward. So that's how I am. How are you right now? I think you should tell the viewers about your dog a little more. What's, oh, <laughs> you just like kind of glazed over that, and you—it's what kind of dog is it? What's her name? So we got—we've um, been wanting another dog because we have a dog named Winston. He'll be four this summer, and we've been wanting a second dog to both be a playmate for her and um, just because we just have always wanted two dogs. So we were going to get one this summer, and. The opportunity like really presented itself. Um, the breeder that we had been talking to uh, actually reached out to me and said that they, there were two little girl Bernadoodles um, that were available um, because I think people were unable to get them due to COVID, but it actually ended up being the perfect time because we'd have time to train her. So we talked and we decided, yes, let's get the puppy. So we have a little girl, Bernadoodle. She is 11 weeks old now, and her name is Phoebe. She's such a Phoebe. She's a cute little thing. Her little pink puppy belly is just mm, divine. So we, we almost named her Beatrice, and then I met her, and she was like such a Phoebe. She had such a Phoebe personality. So she's Phoebes. She's Phoebes now, and sometimes I call her Phoebo because in Friends, Phoebe jokes that if Rachel and Ross have a boy, they can name it Phoebo. <laughs> She's like, if it's a girl, you can name it Phoebe. And if it's a boy, you can name it Phoebo. So sometimes I just call her Phoebo for fun. <laughs> that's hilarious. Oh, I yes. love that. So that's that's Phoebe right now. And Winston's doing well and being a good dog brother. Good. Well, good. Oh, yeah. um, while you were just talking about your dog, Phoebe, I had to pick up my cat because... Precious is 16. She got jealous. She was. She does this thing where she just wants to sit in my lap all day. She's blind. She can't jump on anything. Um, I've had her since I was nine. And I was just talking to her today. This is how quarantine's going for me. I was just telling. We were reflecting on our journey together. I was like, Precious, can you believe that I got you when I was like eight or nine and now I'm 25 and paying my own bills in an apartment in Detroit and you're just here with me? How life has changed. How life has changed. Um, so, yeah, she demands to sit on my lap sometimes or else she'll just continue to cry. You guys, um, this cat meows like she is a person talking she's like hey (laughs) meow exactly that it sounds like it's a meow unlike anything i've ever heard before in my life (laughs) it's so annoying and i love her so much i love it but it's so annoying um which is why i have to get her to stop but today's actually been really good it's one of the best days i've had in recent times um like mood wise um, I had a really hard week last week because I started getting pain in my upper abdominal mm-hmm. and I was uh, like, I knew it was gallbladder stuff and I was waiting for it to intensify because it was like the same pain. Remember when I called you and then because tell everybody you were supposed to get your gallbladder out and what happened? Yeah. So I was supposed to get my gallbladder out today. Oh, wow. Actually, that's mm-hmm. pretty eerie. Um, Whoa. Supposed to get my gallbladder taken out today um, by this like 
liver, the specialist surgeon, um, he was going to do it. And because of the liver complications, and it was going to be a little more risky than the average gallbladder procedure, even though they believed they could do it laparoscopically, there could have been a chance where they sliced me right open and the recovery time would have had to double just with complications of the liver, et cetera, et cetera. So they um, had to cancel the surgery because of um, COVID and because um, it's an elective, technically an elective surgery. And um, yeah, so uh, it was so strange. Like the psychology of this was like in January, I was hospitalized for like, oh, a little less than a week um, because of the gallbladder gallstones. Um, and we thought it was like liver stuff. I mean, it was, it's linked to the liver stuff. But um, then, you know, then we're prepping for surgery. We're saying, okay, you're getting surgery. And then I was living my life in between then, like, okay, I'm going through this like invasive procedure. Like how to, so I was having anxiety around that, just living day to day. And then once COVID hit, it was like, now you're not having the surgery. And then it was like, what? And then all of a sudden this pain starts happening again. And then I was like, wow, hospitals and ERs are filled with people with coronavirus, probably. Like, if I go, like, what will happen? Like, my parents probably, like, they were like, we shouldn't go with you. Like, we're in our 60s. So, like, if you're in doubled over pain, like, you need someone else to drive you. So um, I had to make sure a few friends who are, like, within a block's radius of me were on standby and, like, they've agreed to be on standby um, if something were to happen, like an emergency situation that they could drive me. Um, and then also I like alerted my doctors have been very vocal with my liver team. And, um, like basically if I were to go to the ER, there's a note now in there saying like, Hey, this is who this patient is. She has primary sclerosing cholangitis. She was having gallstones. Um, you know, you should probably just it, it kind of would become more of a streamlined process rather yeah. than people trying to guess what's wrong because um and the liver team couldn't just admit me which is um unfortunate but uh that I'd still have to go through the emergency mm-hmm. procedure mm-hmm. so that's um that like I had a lot of anxiety around just like feeling pain and then I just felt like extreme sadness yeah. and I, I, it became very apparent to me, like not only, you know, is health in the mainstream consciousness like never before and everyone's thinking about it, which is it's like health is always on my mind. So this like heightened health anxiety mm-hmm. just generally. And then with this pain, it was just really mentally taxing and yeah. um, a lot of physical anxiety symptoms too. So I started um, having shortness of breath, heart palpitation, sweating. Um, I haven't been, you know, I wasn't sleeping well at night. I woke mm-hmm. up one night just gasping for air. Um, been there, but, girl. Yeah. So f- eventually things turned and this pain stopped. Thankfully, it didn't get more severe. I was in pain for a few days. And I think that's just going to continue to happen from time to time until mm-hmm. I get my gallbladder removed. Mm-hmm unfortunately um which like they don't know when and they haven't rescheduled and or you know there's no plan around that and that's a bit unnerving yeah it's a bit unnerving to like live in unknown but Mm -hmm. you know with chronic illness you become just very used to living in an unknown space sometimes 
Um, so yeah. And then eventually, you know, I talked to my therapist too, and we were like, what are some really good things that I could do to make myself feel better? And I, I have all those tools usually, but it's like really incorporating those into the work from home schedule. Mm-hmm. So like I have like on the whiteboard behind me, in my kitchen, like a morning routine and a bedtime routine. And in those, it's like specifically meditation um, practices and like, you know, reading 10 pages and making sure there's like a small yoga practice in there. Mm -hmm. So, um, and like I'm drinking tea and lemon, you know, lemon water in the morning. There's very specific things that that are good grounding practices for me. And I've been doing those. So after... um, And I really do think that that's in, you know, getting outside and going for these walks alone, like that is so helpful. And it's like returning to those practices. And Mm -hmm. I'm like, really feel the benefit and the positivity of that from today. And this is really the chance to do to do so. And even though we have all this extra time, it does feel hard sometimes. It's like, there's almost too much extra time. And it makes things kind of confusing. Yeah. Yeah, Andrea and I were saying, too, um, we were talking about how a lot of the fear and everything that was going on, especially initially, um, like, I in particular was feeling really, like, flat and unaffected by it. Um, Not when you heard me on the phone, but, like, I got to a certain point where I was just like, oh, I, like, I don't know, this doesn't... The possibility of being really, really sick or having something bad happen to me, that's something that we have gotten so used to as people with chronic illnesses, like feeling unsafe in your body and feeling unsure about um, death and like mortality and everything is something that we grapple with often and that we've had a lot of like inner monologue about um, and have dealt with through therapy or talking to other people. So there's kind of been a point in which it affects us almost differently, I think, than some other people. Um, And I think other people in the chronic illness community might really relate to this and understand. Um, So it's it's kind of odd. Like, I think there was a point where everybody was still feeling really anxious, and I I felt like an odd calm within it. So that's been really interesting to navigate. So, and I saw something too about comparing um, the pandemic or like having a national disaster to grief and going through the stages of grief. And I definitely am seeing that happen with me. Um, And I kind of like, I definitely like jump back and forth between some of those. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I was like in that place of denial for a while. And I think a lot of people were, where it was like, oh, you know, it's not really happening. It's not that bad. Everything's going to be okay. You know, it's like the flu. Um, and then I think when some of the, when I was really like taking in a lot of the science and a lot of the data, that's when I started to actually realize the severity of it all. And I think you caught me on that end when we were talking on the phone um, Mm -hmm. and I was just feeling like kind of panicked and feeling like really, really vulnerable, like extra vulnerable, Um, especially with my illness and like not knowing how I would respond to it. So Mm -hmm. there's been a lot of there's been a lot of um, feelings and 
a lot of times where I'm like, I'm good and I'm really enjoying this time to be and to self-reflect and to play Animal Crossing and to do work from home. Um, but then at the same time, I like do have those moments. And the moments are kind of, I would say they're more fleeting than something that's consistent that stays with me, but they're definitely there. And I think it's just a normal part of the process that everybody's dealing with. Um, and it's been interesting too, because I talk to a lot of kids because of my job. Um, and I'm a school social worker, so I'm still working from home. And so I've been zooming with kids and just kind of like hearing their perspective and their narratives about how they're feeling and kind of almost remembering similar feelings during 9-11, being around like kind of in that middle age range of where a lot of these kids are and knowing that something really big and something scary is going on, but not really knowing, understanding like the gravity of it or how it relates to my life and my Mm -hmm. world. Um, So I think a lot of them are trying to make sense of that. And I, I think most importantly, like, just trying to find a sense of normalcy for them, like through schedule and everything has been important, just like us as adults. Um, But also a lot like reminding parents that there's going to be some behaviors that are sporadic and um, that we can't really, we're not really going to realize that they're going to kind of burst out of nowhere. And it's, it's the same for us as adults, but we just know how to regulate and we know what to call those feelings So it's just been, it's been kind of interesting seeing that from like the adult versus child perspective and how a lot of those things relate, but look also a little bit different. Are these kids like, and this might be a silly question, like sad and scared? Like, did they feel that or? Yeah. um, What's their understanding of like the situation or, and what age group are you dealing with usually? Um, so most of the kids I've talked to have been, I would say like average age eight, oldest age 11, youngest age like six. Um, but more so some of my older elementary kids, um, the younger elementary kids aren't really able to understand it, um, on the same level as the older elementary kids. Anybody who studies child development understands, you know, the egocentric view of a younger child where they think that their worldview is the only worldview. So like anything that happens directly in their own world, in their own life, um, is the only thing that's happening, which can also be really damaging because if you have something like a death or an illness that's directly in the family, they think that it somehow is related to them, uh, like their, their actions or their immediate self. Um, so at an older age, you have kids that are they are starting to understand like what it means and how it affects other people. So I'd say a lot of them are anxious, not so much about them getting the illness themselves, mm-hmm. more so about they know how it affects older people. So a lot of them are really concerned about grandparents or like older um, great aunts, uncles, um, family, friends. So there's just definitely that concern there. Um, And we just try to focus on the things that we still have control of. And I think that's, again, something that's really important for us, even as adults, is focusing the things that we can control. So like our self-care, you know, bathing, grooming, showering, making our bed, having our schedule, what food we eat, um, what media we choose to consume. 
So I, those are kind of things that I've been working on with them. And then I've been making like daily mindfulness videos. So we've been doing um, like breathing exercises or guided visualization. Um, I did a um, pr progressive um, relaxation video. Um, so I've been doing a bunch of different things. And then like today I did like a read aloud with a book and it's called Understanding um, my body and it's all about physical sensations and what that means for our emotions so mm. things like that and how that you know translates into their world right now and what the coronavirus means to them so there's been a lot of been a lot of different things we've been doing it's been interesting though I think that's a perfect lead-in to our email that yes. we received um around anxiety um, yeah and I think that we'll just continue the conversation around anxiety yeah. and, and, and I would love to hear more about like specifically what, what are in those videos for those kids and, and how we could also like use them as adults and how yeah. some of those tactics could also be used for us. So, for sure. um, okay. I'm just going to read this and we'll see how it goes. Um, greetings ladies. Um, we're going to keep this person anonymous. We're going to refer to them as S. Like all other podcast submissions, I need to start by thanking you both for your hard work and bravery, especially your most impromptu episode, AGP and Gabby, that was raw, and I loved it. Secondly, I want to tell you both that to my knowledge, I am not immunocompromised, and I still highly enjoy your show and learn so much from it. Whether it's new healthy habits, mental health, or just learning to be empathetic to those around me, that have more serious health issues keep up the amazing work now on to my situation if i felt like making you guys read a novel i would read you my entire journal leading up to today of entries i completed while on deployment i work in public health and was deployed in location x for 14 days to help covid19 I am so proud to have served and hopefully will continue to stay healthy in order to keep offering my strengths to help save others. That being said, I have had to take a real look at myself and muddle through some very confusing mental and physical reactions. First and foremost, I was in direct contact with positive COVID-19 patients during my time serving, as well as I flew on an airplane twice in the last 15 days. My risk is definitely elevated from the average American at this time, outside of healthcare workers. Towards the end of my deployment, I was considering getting tested, um, something that was offering to first responders originally. Bam, out of the blue, we were no longer being offered tests because the authority I, was, I work under deemed us as low risk. I'm not trying to be disrespectful, but low risk? What a joke. So begins some of my mistrust in those who are watching over us while we are serving the public. Around eight days into my deployment, I experienced what I believe to be a panic attack. I never had one before. Chest tightness, shakiness, and of course, unable to stop thinking about my breath. At the time, I was unable to differentiate between shortness of breath and the panic attack. Thankfully, I did the right thing and contacted a teammate immediately. She came and consoled me and assured me that things were going to be okay. Mostly, I wanted the comfort of knowing that someone else I knew there was aware of what I was going through in case I actually was experiencing real COVID-19 symptoms. From that day forward, I have been wearing a heavy chest. 
and spurts of panic attacks, or so I think. That is what has been so absolutely exhausting about this whole thing. I read constant stories of new symptoms, young healthy people dying, healthcare professionals dying, etc. out of the media and social media, and it puts my psyche even farther into a dark place. By now I have told many family and friends what I have been experiencing, heavy chest, unable to focus, and sometimes headaches, along with mental exhaustion and overanalyzing. I don't have all the calling cards of COVID-19, but who's to say I don't have it and my symptoms are lesser than others? Will I improve or get worse? Will those in healthcare have to choose to keep me alive over another person? Am I going to die? Will I ever get to say goodbye to my family in person? Will I die alone? These terrifying realities have slipped through my mind hundreds of times over the last week. This is the first time I have said them aloud with tears in my eyes. Surprisingly, it feels very therapeutic to share these thoughts with others and face my fears head on instead of suppressing them. As of today, I got the green light to go get tested. I'm grateful and somewhat excited to get this over with. It has been mentally taxing on me and my loved ones. They have to stay calm, but it cannot be easy for a parent, a fiance, or a sister to think in the back of their head that I might have it. I guess that is my entire point of writing to you guys. I want all of your listeners out there and yourselves to realize we are all together in our loneliness and anxiety right now. Instead of playing a victim and beating myself up about it, I decided to write this message to you and your listeners. You are not alone in this. I have calmed myself down about the idea that I may or may not have COVID-19. How did I calm this inner voice? All the techniques that you all have talked about on your podcast, such as yoga, walking, talking to loved ones on the phone, breath exercises, podcasts, writing things down, etc. Below are some specific items I have worked on. Number one, not shaming myself for feeling the way I feel, embracing my body and my mind's reaction to all the stimulus in the end our bodies and minds are trying to protect themselves number two action instead of taking no for an answer when asking to get tested i pushed on all the right buttons and i'm now able to get tested yes i did have to fight for this and you should too if you really feel like you need it i should know my results in 48 hours number three selflessness and thankfulness the more i think about the possibility of having covid19 the more i think about what i can do to be selfless and helpful. Paramount is staying at home and away from my fiance, family, friends, and pets. If I am positive, maybe I can be someone who contributes to the scientists studying antibodies. Lastly, I am otherwise healthy and should be super thankful for that. I am searching for all the silver linings right now. I wanted to share my story so that others do not feel alone when they are anxious and afraid. It is okay Things will improve, and we will be better as a world after COVID-19. Much love, S. And just before we forget, um, we did talk, well, you talked to her recently, and she did not test positive, correct? Right. She's um, tested um, negative. Um, Okay. There's like a stipulation in the whole thing, but for now, she's, she's negative. Okay. Um... I am really grateful for her reaching out and feeling comfortable and vulnerable enough to want to share this with us. Um, I feel really honored that 
we were some of the people that she chose to reach out to and share all this information. So um, I wanted to put that forth um, before I say anything else because I'm just grateful for everyone's vulnerability at this time. And I would say so much vulnerability to ease the worries and thoughts of others and let people know that they're not alone because that's what we made this whole podcast for, right? To make sure that people know that they are not alone because, man, it can feel isolating. Um, I think there's a lot of points in here that are interesting, too, and let me know your thoughts after I say this um, because I think a lot of the things that she has been encountering, a lot of other people who are able-bodied and non-immunocompromised, they're encountering these realizations for the first time and really, like, uh, coming to terms with their mortality or coming face-to-face with their mortality for the first time, possibly ever. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's a really kind of interesting thought. There are so many people that I think and I hope that on the other side of all of this are going to have kind of a new understanding and empathy for the chronic illness community. And people with disabilities as well. Yeah, and people with disabilities. Um, I 120% agree. I, number one, was like, am read that very emotionally because I could identify as I read through this all of those feelings. Um, I think everyone can in this time. Like, I think that really perfectly encapsulates like a lot of the anxieties people are having. Yeah. But I also like bring this other perspective to it where that's just my day-to-day right like my some sometimes like living in my body feels this scary yeah all the time and um you know I'm not at risk really because primary sclerosis and cholangitis is a slow progressing liver disease at like acute liver failure so Maybe it's not as severe as sometimes it feels, but I am at a state in my illness where, like, going on a transplant list um, is talked about casually, and um, that feels really terrifying. So sometimes, you know, and who's to say that I could get an infection or otherwise related to the disease that I could go into acute liver failure. Like that also is something that could happen. My spleen is large. If someone hits me in the stomach really hard, I would probably just, my spleen would rupture. Um, Like there's just so many things in my body that feel unsafe that it's, it's really interesting because I've actually, and I'm not mad at this person or anyone, I've found myself angry at people who are able-bodied and never had these thoughts before. Mm-hmm. I've had that thought before. And I'm so grateful this person wrote it. I'm so grateful for this person's vulnerability in addition to that. But it it's to say also that... It sucks that 
to have this perspective on a daily basis and not have that feel seen ever. Like everyone looks at me and they're like, but you're fine. Like you look fine. And they treat me like a normal person and they think I'm fine. But really in my head a lot, this is why I go to therapy and do these practices is like, I don't feel like everyone else. And it feels so scary and lonely and uh, mentally taxing. And so I, all that to say, I've found myself within the last few weeks angry at the average able-bodied person for just realizing these, having these thoughts. Yeah. Even, even though it's, it is no, it is no fault no uh, of the uh, of that population of people at all it is in no way no fault of that population of people at all they just haven't had to have that experience but it's right. it's really hard and it's really frustrating so what's frustrating to me right now is that we've been in this world that I think a lot of people have been told for many many years now like we can't accommodate you in this way and we're suddenly seeing amongst this crisis that they certainly could have. And it's like the whole world is being accommodated. And now it's like, okay, well, what the fuck? Like, we were very willing to be part of this world but needed help in this way. And you said you couldn't do it. And now I'm seeing you do it right now. Yeah, So that's that- been infuriating. That pisses me off. That's been so aggravating. Yeah. What has it been for you? Which which parts specifically were you like, I would have liked accommodation on that X? Oh, I think, well, for me, obviously, like, my work, my work is a little different. And, like, obviously, I understand that, like, I need to be there in person. It's a different kind of role. But I think there's, like, a lot of lacking opportunities. Like, I know they have some... Um, like virtual therapy and I know that there are some opportunities um, for people to do like part-time that looks a little different but they're very rare to find like it's not easy to find those Um, simultaneously like it seems like the ability to work from home is almost there for virtually almost every single profession Um, and it just apparently hasn't been it's all just I don't know I hiding it they've been hiding it it's mm-hmm. been like hidden under the rug yeah <laughs> they're like the- oh guess what the majority of the population who is able-bodied now needs this let's slide underneath the rug uh lift that floorboard that one that's a little creaky that has a crack in it and guess what we have a million pieces of gold beneath right just exactly waiting that. there for the rest of you <laughs> Yeah, I also, um, like, I understand, like, how you could like going to work and physically being somewhere, but it makes me infuriated to the people who are vocal about it in the workplace that are like, I hate this. I wish I was in the office. And I'm like, this is actually great. 
Yeah. <laughs> this is actually and, and great on top for, of it. This is actually people great that, for people with disabilities. This yeah. This is great for people with chronic illness. This is yeah. great for a lot of people who are who are just physically tired all the time. Yeah. Not to mention that right now being home means protecting people who are in at-risk populations. So for for people to be bitching about having to be in their houses to protect other people actually stabs my heart um just about a thousand times over yeah and so like that that bums me out and then people who are like oh my god this is horrible like i'm never gonna be able to leave my house again and blah, blah blah i'm like well guess what welcome to my life when i'm in a flare sometimes it's been like literally six months in my yeah. house and i feel very 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 sick meanwhile or how about just the idea that you have to change your lifestyle because of something health-wise? Think yeah. about how much health-wise we've just had to change from the average person yes. and no one talks about it. I'm like, neither of us drink. We are acutely aware of what we put in our bodies. We yes. like all of these things. We are making sure our mental health, our physical health, and it's it's just like oh you can't you can't go outside yeah some one time I didn't leave the house for like two months and couldn't put on makeup I made a film about it and like still but like it it just it feels it feels different in this way we're like oh yeah it sucks that like you have to make changes to your lifestyle for other like for health for the world's health. But it's yeah. like, that's been our entire life is trying to figure out how to be healthy. Yeah. And like making those accommodations for ourselves for, yeah. for not participating. How about just the idea that no one's participating in anything right now? How much of our lives have me and you mm-hmm. not participated in because we couldn't? Yeah. And like, this is why we're close, right? This is why we are sitting on our, we couldn't partake in certain things, right. like right. going to the bachelorette party or going to the outing where there's tons of booze. And you're just like, I just prefer to yeah. not do that, like yeah. for my health, right? And guess what, people? Like, this is, it's okay, like, it's going to be okay. It's really going to be okay. And hopefully within it, you'll find a different understanding of your own existence. I really hope that for everyone. Um, because you really have to do some self-reflection and um, you have to sit with yourself. And uh, it's an interesting experience to be by yourself or by, with one person in a apartment or two-bedroom house for a very, very long time. Um, But it's a chance to learn things about yourself. And perhaps, here's my theory, maybe one of the reasons that people do not like this staying at home thing is because we live in a society right now that is so fast-paced and is constantly we are constantly being bombarded with information and constantly getting what we want to get. There's no delayed gratification whatsoever that now when we finally don't have those things, we actually have a moment to think and be by ourselves and be alone with our thoughts. And I think a lot of people are not comfortable being alone with their thoughts and are for the first time experiencing shame or guilt 
or depression, um, and they've had these things all along, but they haven't really known what they are or been able to point their finger at them because they've been using numbing behaviors like shopping or social media or alcohol to fill that void. So now we have to finally sit and we have to learn how to engage with other people again and we have to learn how to listen or be quiet. Um, And I think people don't like that. And I want to be very clear, like, I was one of those people at one point in my life. Oh, I was too. Absolutely, I was, 100%. But, like, and I was, you know, and that's what also the same activity that Gabby just described is what derailed my entire life, yeah. right? Like, I, you know, I choose not to go back to Washington every day. I could probably go back to wherever I wanted to go Yeah. Um, at could. this point in my career, but, like, I, um, you know, I was the person who was, I go to work for this cable news network. I come home and I watch the cable news network. I'm only thinking about work. I'm only thinking about what's happening in the news cycle. I'm drinking all the time. I'm sleeping with different men because I feel shitty about myself. Like all, like nothing was processed and I kept moving and I kept moving and I kept moving. And eventually that is the activity that caused my liver to almost fail with mm-hmm. the primary sclerosing cholangitis. And then I got sick and had to sit with myself and like really got real and like mm-hmm. really had to reflect and sit and like who I was. And that's when I realized like, oh yeah, I'm was deeply unhappy. That's why yeah. I was doing all those yeah. things. And so- also let me add, this is not, a failure of you as an individual. Mm -hmm. This is a result of society and environment that breeds this kind of behavior that does not want you to be able to sit with yourself and hear what your needs are. This is a society that wants you to consume. So be aware of that. This is no fault of you, okay? Hear that and know that this is not your fault. This is a result of society. This is a result of capitalism. So. And like when we talk about like when I talked about basically being ang- like I said I was like angry at the average able-bodied person. That's like a feeling I can have, but it's only because that that group holds privilege. Right. That, that person has those you you're privileged in this way where you've never had to think about your health right to the extent that Gabby and I have to a point where we've created a podcast and created a community around it mm-hmm. uh, in in the same in the same way that I've never had to think about my education or where that's coming from or, um, or our race or our race or the fact that I was born a U.S. citizen. I mean, these are all things where when these are the moments when you sit down by yourself, these are the thoughts you can have. We can all break down our own privilege and how that affects us and the things that we don't have to think about in our everyday lives that other people do and how that can affect the way that we treat other people and how we go about our everyday lives. So I think in a way this, I, I hope people who are open to it will realize their that their health, their everyday health, is a privilege and something that I think a lot of people take for granted. And I hope that when we get out of this, people will really recognize and, and um, 
celebrate their bodies and their health and not assume that it's just something that's going to be given to them every single day. And then as we talk, sit here and talk about privilege, like let's talk about who the coronavirus is definitely affecting more. Right. Are people who are poor, don't have right. health insurance. Yeah, um, working, working in service industries, um, working, you know, in jobs that they cannot leave or if they are, are now having to take disability. Um, in a city like Detroit, mostly black, right? Yes, mostly black. So it's just to say, I think now's the time to really look at what you're complaining about. Is it the fact that you your concert was canceled, right? Is it the fact that, you know, you couldn't go to Joe Blow's housewarming party that was scheduled a month ago to, like, go consume alcohol, right? Like... Is it the fact that you're, you wanted to go into the office and now you can't, right? So and it's, it's like, what are you complaining about? Right. And then what is that saying about, about your experience versus like the people who are benefiting from those things right. you're complaining about? Like, is that experience of higher value than human life? I think that's, you know, because that's what you're risking when you're going out. You're risking carrying the virus, being, you know, being a well person, carrying the virus, thinking you don't have the virus, and then spreading it, and then, you know, possibly infecting somebody in those high-risk populations, and that person, you know, possibly dying. So that's important. And that's not to say that you cannot be upset. Like, you're allowed to be, you're allowed your moment to sit there and be like, ugh, this sucks. Because you know what? If I was graduating this year and I couldn't go to my commencements, right. that would be really sad for me. I would, you know, that's like that's a, a thing that we do. That's a rite of passage, and that's something we do to celebrate all the hard work that we've done. Um, but the world happens. Life happens. Right. We have to be. We have to be adaptable and kind and caring for the goodness of human life. And this is, you know, just just to throw this out there too, like this is a podcast about chronic illness and like the life part of dealing with chronic illness. So you didn't tune into a podcast today from the perspective of like two able-bodied people, right? Like it's, right. you came here for a very per- specific perspective and this is what ours is. And yeah. to say that, like the the pain in my upper abdominal when the coronavirus was happening was a very scary thing because I was like, am I going to be medically treated? Will I be putting myself at risk if I go to an ER? So waiting into the moment where like my pain is so severe that it's like, I'm almost not seeking medical attention when I might be needing it because I don't want to be risking this other thing that could be exposing me to the virus. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that was really scary. That was like a really scary moment for me. Mm-hmm. So so I, I wrote this thing, and um, Gabby expressed that she thinks I should share it. So Yes, very much so. It made me feel a lot of things very deeply, and it, be able to feel Andrea's experience. And, like, I... So I do this thing when I feel pain, when I feel pain, I just start to write. And like, this is what's just become a habit now is if it's not crippling pain, if it's like I'm the sitting there type of pain, 
I'm waiting for it to become crippling. I just begin to write. And also just states of mania and depression too, um, or hyperactivity and anxiety. Um, those are moods I also start to write in. Um, so this is one where I wrote, um, I'm going to die. I'm not saying that to be dramatic or attention-seeking. It's just a fact. I'm going to die. You're going to die. We're all going to die. There's never a day where I don't think about my own inevitable death, or yours, or the collective's. I don't want to generalize, but it's my understanding most people walk around living their lives not thinking about death at all. Idiots, I thought as I contemplated my purpose. As I sat on my living room sofa, staring out the window that overlooks the Detroit River, I started to cry. My body was in pain again. Not a shooting sharp pain, more of a dull constant. It didn't hurt as much as it was just annoying. Another reminder that I was, in fact, not a well person. That there were things wrong with me that couldn't be cured. Because they haven't come up with a cure yet. Because the disease I have is, is too rare for any drug company to make a profit off of a possibility of finding a cure. I suddenly had no motivation to do anything except stare out my window and cry. I hate these moments. I call them the why me moments, where I sit in my own self-pity and ask the universe, why me? Usually my demeanor rests in the I have to do everything before I die tomorrow lifestyle. That's how I get so much done, because if I don't do it today, it might not happen tomorrow. This is when I start to shift my thinking to the why not me, which I definitely did not make up myself. Unsure which self-help book put this in my mind, but it has allowed me to help myself from time to time. Maybe if I pray to Marianne Williamson and Oprah Winfrey hard enough, my body will cure itself of ailments. Perhaps if I find the phone number to Dave Asprey, Tony Robbins, or Mark Hyman, they'd be able to help me. Surely one of them has the answer to all of life's problems, including the illness that will probably kill me. But then again, I can jump out of the 11th floor of my apartment complex and, and into the Detroit River. It's probably the temperature of whatever body of water Wim Hof jumps into every morning, mind over everything. Eventually, the loneliness sets in. I become acutely aware that I am the only person who feels this pain, not the friend driving me to the ER, nor the parent sitting with me in a waiting room. And then I remember there is no person who cares about my well-being enough to hold my ailing body the way only a romantic partner can. So this is 25. I'm supposed to be in the prime of my life, but in no way does it feel that way. It's hard finding reasons to want to live, when you feel like death is around the corner, is what I think when I'm on a long walk. I turn a corner and say, Death, are you there? It's me, Andrea. Maybe I'm ready now. You can take me. I'm in pain here. I'm lonely here. I don't know what I'm doing here. Is wherever we're going any better? Mm. It's my second time. It's my second time hearing that, and I still get teary-eyed and um yeah I just it just makes me feel a lot because um I've had I've had the same feelings and I think a lot of us a lot of us have and it feels um very real and like I told you before your writing it it's like all the thoughts that I've ever had but they're like pieced together in this eloquent way where you're like, ah, yes, that's how it's supposed to sound. Which is like the best compliment <laughs> to ever receive. So thank you. <laughs> so I just, um, 
I thank you for sharing that. And I think a lot of people can relate to that. And I think people from like the outside world who didn't have these kind of experiences oh, would feel concerned. Right. I literally if just they, wrote, you I'm know what I mean? Like if they, my apartment. if they read this out of, out of nowhere, but, um, to me, like personally, as somebody who has suffered the last five years, um, with a chronic illness, it just feels that, that kind of writing feels safe just because I know, like, I know that there are other people that feel the the way that I feel. And as a mental health um, practitioner, I, I think that it's so healthy to be able to honestly reflect our feelings and our emotions through art. And you're obviously in a healthy mental state today and for the most part but we all have those days or those weeks or those months where we just say like you almost just sigh and you're just like take me I'm just like I I I hurt so much I I don't work so much um this doesn't feel right and like it's been so confusing for me too because like I think because I don't have like a like a proper diagnosis other than the pots like I don't think people like take it seriously that like how much I've suffered and how much I've hurt I think it's just been one of those things where like people have treated it like it's like oh well you know like she's anxious or she's a hypochondriac or she's getting overwhelmed um and I just I think that's like part of the complexity of being one of the members of of a chronic illness community because so many of us don't really know exactly what's going on with your body even you having diagnoses doesn't mean that we like know specifically what's going on like it's just it's just that like constant knowing that you get these feelings that are like not right and you're like something's not working but I don't know what it is (laughs) and well it's just I mean to me like so the not knowing is probably scarier than having a diagnosis like when I was with you and like saw how much physical pain you were in I mean that every moment for me when I hear that you don't feel well feels scary for me as your friend and loved one because I'm like we don't know and I am like that's scarier and like that could be yeah that you know what it what is it so yeah and I, I think, and I think that in a way, like, um, it's almost like this is, I don't know if this is going to sound bad, but at least like if people have COVID-19, right. they know they have COVID-19 to me. Like, this is a thought that I've had. Like, I'm like, oh, at least they know that because there are people like, there's kind of this, this area where there's like a cluster of like fibromyalgia and MCAS and POTS, um, and EDS and all these other, um, all these other diagnoses that kind of cluster together and they have I feel like those are almost those diagnoses themselves are almost kind of um like symptoms of what's really going on systematically that the medical community doesn't really know or quite understand yet um so I think there's a lot of people that can like relate it's like yeah I've got all these things and all these names and all these labels but I don't really know like what the underlying problem is and like that in itself like it's it's almost frustrating like when when 
somebody's sick and they know what they're they're sick no, with. No, I'm not talking about you specifically. I'm talking about the the COVID. So like, let's, there's the privilege COVID in knowing, right? And like, I acknowledge that privilege, and I know I'm sitting here talking to someone who doesn't have that. And but, you know, as your friend and loved one, I'm sure you feel every single time I go to the hospital or feel a pain. It's scary for you, but like. It feels it so scary for me because I'm like, we don't know and I want to know. And it's, it's, I'm frustrated yeah. for you and I want to know. <laughs> like, yeah. And it's continues to be, um, that continues to be hard for me <laughs> as your friend. Wow. Yeah. Like getting emotional. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know. I think, I think Andrea and I are like, truly feeling like really all the feels tonight like really raw because these are I mean these are so many feelings I think we've we've had just over the last like year or so but like I think the um it's been kind of easy to wrap them all into one kind of almost cohesive conversation just because of the way that the COVID-19 situation has and it's in the itself. public consciousness um, whereas on a daily basis we constantly yes. feel like we look normal, but we aren't normal, yeah. and we're constantly receiving microaggressions about our own health in ways that we can't even describe. Yes. Yes. Yes, absolutely. So it's, yeah, it's it's a lot. Um, we love all of you out there. Hi. We love you. We care about you. Um, I've gotten some messages, like, on Instagram from people just, like, saying, thanks and they appreciate listening and like we appreciate you for listening and it's it means a lot to us and we want to continue making these podcasts and growing this community um and having these conversations and the better we get at the technology piece the more we'll be able to talk to other people like I would love to have Sienna on here you guys um, did a um soon Instagram live together do you want to tell we everyone did. about that we did and yeah, so I did a Instagram live with Sienna. Um, her Instagram is chronically persevering, and I won't even try to describe all of her diagnoses because she has so many, and she was like listing them off to me. Um, but she's an incredible human being and huge advocate um, for the chronic illness community and in, in quite a few different sectors and areas. And so I would love to have her on here to be able to talk about that but like she also I love her page because she just shows this like light and normalcy and goodness amongst all of this like fucking messy chaos that can be chronic illness but she goes about it like you know like this is this is my life and she shows videos of herself cooking and she talks a lot about um her uh her dog her service dog who I can't wait for her to tell us more about that because her service dog is so incredible um and his name is Piper and he's like um constantly on the watch knows like if she's like about to pass out um and can alert her but she can tell us more about that so I just truly enjoy her as a human being and she has like a fantastic energy and I kind of like knew it immediately when I saw her page I was like very drawn to her so I and she also lives in Michigan which we're both from all, all three of us are from Michigan which is super cool so I would love to have her on here and um, just talk about 
all all of that. I think that she's like literally a walking miracle and then when you she's a walking miracle she and is. when you see when you see her and you hear her speak um y- she feels like a literal miracle like she just has this presence to her that is yeah. that is radiates light yes. like she's a light in a dark space yes. also you made a really interesting point earlier yes. of just being like the normalcy of like this is just my life and this is how i'm living it um i right feel that sometimes like people will like almost like pity me and like in this way we're like yeah it's frustrating to have a chronic illness and and to not know and all these things but to an extent I don't to an extent I don't know anything else like it was you know had these problems like probably my whole life and so when people mm-hmm. are like I'm so sorry and I know people just don't know what to say but it's almost like and sure it's frustrating these things but it almost feels like I don't want your pity like this is just what I this is just what my experience is (laughs) right and 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 that's so different too from like somebody acknowledging like there's a difference between somebody acknowledging that you that we have limitations and that we do have illnesses and and pitying us that's like a completely different thing yeah yeah so it's different and I love that she um brings normalcy to it yeah yeah and i and i think what's so cool so she she's like one of like a very few people in the world that has a pacemaker for her lungs and um she always like has different styles and fashions for the day and shows like where she's holding because your pacemaker unlike the heart pacemakers have to be outside of Mm -hmm. your body um so she like does like fun purses with it or will will like you know have special bags or like show the different ways that she's using it during the day and like I just like I love that like she just brings this like fun and lightness and joy and into something that can easily be um not joyful for somebody to have to get that plug her Instagram handle what is it it's chronically persevering um let me make sure that everybody's everything's spelled chronically persevering yep that's spelled as spells that as you would expect it to be and go check out um her and her service dog and she has another service dog um that's like no longer it's like not her service dog anymore opie and i think opie kind of it, it, she'll correct me if i'm wrong but i think opie like failed as a service like was just too lazy and like too much of a lover to be like the service dog and so that's and that's where uh piper came into the came into the game and piper is so cute he is a wire-haired visla and oh my god he has like a little beard he looks like the lorax let me look at this (laughs) do you want to give some like good coping tips oh sure okay let's okay let's do let's end with like how are we coping what coping strategies are we both using yeah gabby what are some good ones um, so for me, I have been doing a lot of, first of all, just, just a lot of like self-compassion right now, first of all. If I need extra time to sleep or if I need an extra cry or if I am eating a little more or eating less than usual, any of those things, like self-compassion and being understanding and accepting that these are trying times, they're different. So we got to have a little bit of grace for ourselves there. Um, second of all, big on, um, guided meditations and guided imagery. 
So you can either do this by thinking aloud in your head if you're pretty familiar with these, or you can go use one of the free apps that they have. So I use the one called Insight Timer. Um, they also have an area on there for kids and kid meditations, um, which is really cool. But they also have like body scans on there. Um, they have meditation music. It's. Do you know what this has reminded me of? Sorry what? to interrupt, but... Remember when we were at your house and we did a guided meditation together and in the meditation there was like a deer? Yes! And we suddenly suddenly both started like, did we start cracking up? We were laughing so hard. Because like the deer came out of nowhere. I think we were like smiling. It was both like really joyful for us, but then also like really funny. Because the deer, we were just like rocking around in the path and you're going through the woods and blah, blah, blah. And then all of a sudden like, boom, a deer. The deer just. <laughs> where did this deer we like, come where from? Where did the deer come from? <laughs> so, <laughs> so do it. So like, if you have even like, let's say you're living with a roommate or um, your partner um, or a parent, um, you could force this on them too and make it a group activity. Because Gab- Gabby and I do it together. But like, let me just say. They, if they haven't done it before, they might not take it seriously the first couple times. So just like give them a little, uh, give them a little leniency on that because a lot of people are like, what is this? It's weird. Um, right, right. But to say though, we do weird, like what could be perceived as weird to someone else, me, we're doing it already. So yeah. that's, isn't that the truth? <laughs> I've been, I've been doing what's weird since I came out of the womb. So. Since 1993. Since 93. Yeah, so those are are great and excellent and awesome. Um, Also, giving yourself quiet time. um, I would say setting up schedules right now are really important. Even if it's like a really loosey-goosey kind of schedule, just having – so like I don't have a super um, rigid schedule, but I have like a time in which I think I should be awake by – so that kind of wiggles around some days. Um, I have a time I should be asleep by at the latest. So it kind of is between, you know, 10, 30, 11-ish. Some days it's a little later, especially in the weekends. Um, I'm making sure that I am still eating like consistently, um, like having those meals. And they don't have to be super structured meals, but just making sure you're feeding yourself um the the showering and everything is important um I'm not I'm trying not to over shower because Andrea and I were talking about how we're really wanting to care for our hair and everything right now so I'm trying not to like over shampoo so I can you know give a little love to my hair as it's not going same with skin same with skin like right now we're like not really it's like I'm not really touching my skin I'm not really putting any makeup on um it's just it feels really good to just and not plucking my eyebrows, not shaving my legs, um, just feeling, just, you know, taking advantage. Like, I think it's important, too, to have uh, some moments of of gratitude during these times and realize, like, what kind of things we're gaining from this. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, I think we're really reconnecting and reappreciating each other as, as human beings. I think we're reconnecting with ourselves. I think a lot of people are reconnecting with nature. Um... There's, there's definitely some, some benefits during this time. 
trying to think if there's anything else specifically I want to I and I feel too it's it's funny but I feel like everything is like so redundant like because because it, we have like a pandemic right now I feel like everybody's like saying the same things but like they're saying the same things because they're all important and they're all very true and they're very effective did I miss did I miss anything what did you want to add no um I'll just add like little things that I'm doing to for self-care as well um my t- so teletherapy my therapist and I are doing teletherapy yeah so good um which has been life-saving for me in this time um I my therapist used the word recuperating so I love thinking about this time as like a recuperation um in addition to reconnecting it's like a collective rest I've seen that in quite a few places but it's like a collective rest for some and um, so I noticed I was getting a lot of screen time, like in addition to work um, and being able to work from home. Um, I was also in addition to doing some freelance work. Um, and then I noticed like if I turned on Netflix, the entire time I was awake was going to be glued to a screen. So it became all of a sudden very important to me to not be in front of a screen. But you're in your apartment still. So what do you do? So I've been playing my guitar. Um, I have um, some colored pencils and like professional charcoal that I've been doing. So like art art activities. Um, And I have some watercolor paints on the way. I invested heavily in watercolor painting. Um, Just hanging out with my cat and reading. Mm animals spending and, animals so good yes yes and I like precious lived with my parents before this and I really made like a big ask because they really love her um even though she's my cat uh <laughs> I was like I really need her in Detroit during this time and you're and by they, and you're by yourself in your apartment so like that's a completely different setup than what I have going on over here right and yes I love being alone, but it's also, like, I have to be the type of person who's continuously reaching out to other people, or else, like, I'm not going to be able, I'm not going to have human interaction. And I do have, like, a neighbor that I've chosen as, like, a designated person to interact with, Mm. and, um, like, maybe, like, two neighbors, so, and just, like, seeing people in the hallway and stuff, so that's where I'm getting, like, social human real interaction but I mean it's right I mean if I see someone and I'm on my daily walk I'm walking on the other side of the street like so and like if my neighbor comes into my home like we are sitting very far Mm. apart (laughs) so it's still it's still but it's nice to when when he comes by and um yeah it's great um but yeah making sure I'm getting and talking to people still while I'm alone and um reaching out and I felt within those days, too, where I did feel severely depressed because of the pain in my stomach, mm. um, so interrelated, that I was kind of like, you know, going back into my hole and not really reaching out to people. And then I saw, you know, it's hard when you're in pain to reach out to people and then to want to talk. Yes. Like I had, And I, I had told you and I had told of some of my closer friends what was happening and going on in my workplace so they all knew so people were checking in but um I wasn't I was really not responding well or um 
I found myself not responding well. <laughs> so sorry to everyone I wasn't responding to. It happens. But, um, it happens. It happens. I think that's it, though. Oh, um, also, like, um, altruism right now. Like, even though we can't get out and physically do things to help, um, there are a lot of little things that we can do, like supporting small and local businesses. Um, there might be food banks or other um, supply areas that need help or medical supplies that need to be donated. Um, I mean, we have all the data. We know how altruism affects happiness and affects the brain. Um, and to say that too, I um, to help in the unique way that only you can. Right. I was asked. I was asked to lead a recovery meeting for sobriety, and um, I, in storytelling. So um, I did a Zoom conference with like twenty women. And we talked about recovery and storytelling, and and I led that, and that felt like something that I could that only that's something very specific to, to what I to who I am. So yeah. I I was like, wow, that to talk about reasons to want to live, that is one that makes me want to live. Yeah. Is like continuing to help others For sure. in the unique ways that we can. I am so. going to be helping. So our our district um, has been providing food to our families who do not have um, lunch and breakfast at this time because a lot of our kids get lunch and breakfast through school. Um, so there's been they've been we have a wonderful um, youth assistance program and they've been putting together like all the food bags and everything and parents come and pick them up at the high school. Um, there's a couple families that I've been dropping off for because they don't have transportation, um, but I'm actually helping with the food sorting on the 13th, but they're doing it. It's all going to be in compliance with social distancing. Um, so I'm, I'm excited to do that. Um, I'll definitely be in my, you know, protective gear. I've, I've had a, I've had a mask for quite a few months now because I'm, I'm kind of sensitive to fumes and other things. So I've had a mask. I've been using my mask and I'll be using that and some gloves and everything. Um, yeah, so I'm ex- well, I'm excited to hear how that goes. Yeah, I think it'll be good. It's just food sorting and just just getting it ready uh, for the families. They need some volunteers, so I'm I'm excited about that. Good. I'm happy that you're doing that. That makes me happy to hear. Me too. In addition to, if you are listening right now and you are struggling, um, whether that's just being a person or in your sobriety or, um, you know, you're feeling down or scared um, and scared that you need help. Um, I just want to advocate for you to, to seek resources to do so. Um, and I also want to, you know, you could reach out to our podcast and we could try to help connect you to resources if you are unsure of where to get them yes this is part of my part of my job is actually a lot of my job is connecting people with appropriate resources so so whether that's a professional therapist yes or uh support group meetings that are online um they exist and they're completely normal and we both utilize these things yes also because i am a licensed therapist um i 
I should say, and I probably, I don't know. This, I think this is a more important episode to say this. This, this episode or any advice I give is not a substitute for any sort of mental health therapist um, or otherwise. I am just a mental health professional that is talking in a podcast. So this is not medical advice or anything of the sort. Right. But it's a completely normal and you should go get it if you need it. And if you are experiencing any type of symptoms related to COVID, we also, um, you know, we're thinking of you. And, we're thinking um, of you and we love you all. And we're giving a collective group hug to everyone and to the world. And obviously to our chronic illness community. Yes. <laughs> yes. Thanks for listening, though. We love you all. Ah, and what is... Do you want to... Oh, if you liked this episode, why don't you give it a share on social media? Why don't you tell a friend? Yes. Why everyone's sitting in their house right now. It's probably a really good time to discover a podcast. Great time. And if you have any questions or comments or would like to have us talk about anything on our podcast, you can contact us at alive at gmail.com. alive at gmail.com. How is anyone still alive at gmail.com? Who's